Have you ever had an opportunity to meet one of your heroes? And how did it go? Well, I want to tell you the time I met one of my heroes, and it was not ideal. Uh, I, I love music, obviously. I think that's something you're not surprised by. And years ago, um, as a youth pastor, I took a group of young people down to the States, and we went to a, a, a festival called Soul Fest. A few different days, everybody kind of camps there for you know, three or four days, and you hope and pray that it won't rain. And there's throughout the festival, there's different stages, and there's different musical acts, Christians that are performing their songs, which is great, a lot of fun. And we went and we, we not only took part in the, the festival that way, but we also served at it. We were collecting the garbage, and we'd often have to do that after the festival was sort of shut down for the night and go on to 1 a.m. or whatever, just picking up garbage across the site. Well, one day, there was uh, one of my favorite artists was performing, and I was very excited to see him. Uh, I thought he was just really insightful in the way that he uh, saw the Christian faith and expressed it in song. And I really wanted to see him, so it was, I thought, this is fantastic. And this was actually on a ski hill. Of course, this is summer if we're camping, right? Uh, this is summer. And uh, what you would do to see him at that venue, you actually got in one of those gondola rides and went all the way to the top of the mountain. So this is a pretty unique location. I was pretty excited to, for the location and for the artist, both. But when I got there, I was surprised to see there was only about 50 people that attended the show. Now, he was a little bit more acoustic. He's a singer-songwriter and, and all that. So it wasn't you know, ill-fitting by any means. Uh, but I, as I, I saw the concert, I really enjoyed it. And, and I thought to myself, this is fantastic. At the end of the show, I'll be able to go up and talk to him. And so I thought to myself, like, what, you know, what's my opening line going to be? You know, how am I going to start this conversation? I thought I'd start with a joke. Well, I, I, I went up and I said my joke, and I thought, you know, we're going to be new best friends, and uh, he's probably going to ask me to sing on his next album. You know, that's just how it's going to go, right? And uh, he did not understand the joke, and I think was mildly offended, and it was a very awkward interaction. And then I left, kind of hanging my head in shame, and slowly went back down the gondola rides, thinking, I look like a fool in front of my hero. Have you ever had a moment like that? I'm the only one, right? The only one who's ever been embarrassed. Okay. Well, it's important for us to understand how to enter into moments where God's presence and reality are being experienced, or where confusion is found, and know how to do that well, so that we don't look like fools. And in Ecclesiastes, it talks about how throughout our lives, there are moments that are beyond our comprehension. Let's look at the first verse I have here from Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind, or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God, who does all things. Here, as we come to this part, uh, we hear in the voice of King Solomon just this reflection on how there are so many things in the world that are mysteries to us. That no matter the level of wisdom or ability or insight or knowledge that we have, we can never fully understand it all. We can't understand where the wind is going. I don't know how many times I've watched the weather uh, predictions and then it changes you know, the next day. We can't understand, really, the mystery of how a tiny baby forms. No matter how much science and medical knowledge we have, it still comes across to us as a miracle day after day. 
whenever a new child is born. There's something just incredible that we, it's beyond our comprehension. And so even when we look at these everyday things like the wind and a child being born, like uh, here in Ecclesiastes, we can say we don't understand the activity of God. If we can't understand these small everyday things, how in the world are we going to understand the bigger things of what God is doing in the world? And so really what that leaves us in is a place of awe if we, if we receive that moment appropriately. We talked about wonder and awe this summer. I'm not going to go into depth as much on that uh, this morning because we did a whole summer series on that. I invite you to go back and find the podcasts if you'd like. But I want to take you back to one quote. Um, this is from Dr. Keltner. He's a psychologist at the University of California. And I referred to him quite a bit because he's studied uh, awe and wonder sort of scientifically as a psychologist. And he, he describes awe in this way. Awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your understanding of the world. We experience awe when we see something before us that is hard for us to comprehend. Now, sometimes when we are faced with something we don't comprehend, it just leaves us confused. And it leaves us maybe frustrated or in fear. But when we enter into a moment of awe, it's a space where we recognize there's things I just don't understand. And it, it humbles us. It quiets us. We realize a sense of smallness before this vastness and this greatness. Uh, I had the chance to go to the Grand Canyon. And what I, I, I noticed as I looked across, it was just it was incredible to see the vastness of the land before me and the shape that it took. You know, it's about 16 kilometers across on average from one side to the other. 16 kilometers. You're looking an incredible distance. Down, it's a whole mile or 1.6 kilometers down. I, and my legs were shaking a little bit, I'll admit. But what I noticed about the people in that area was that, you know, certainly people were talking and moving around and all of that, but they were quiet. There was a sense of, I think, humility and reverence in that moment. We were seeing and experiencing something that was bigger than we can really comprehend. And what I realized as well is what I could see before me was only a tiny, small sliver of the entire thing. And when we experience a moment of awe, when we experience it well, we do it in a way that honors the vastness of that thing. Rather than stomps all over it in a way that's insensitive, inattentive, and uncaring. And Ecclesiastes wants us to recognize that there are moments that are sacred and good, and we need to interact with God in a way that honors who God is, the vastness of who God is, because we can't fully understand him or what he's doing in the world. And if we step all over that insensitively and in a way that's uncaring and unthoughtful, well, our life is going to be, it's not going to be the best that it could be. Let's put it that way. Let's go to the next slide here. And as we come into Ecclesiastes 5, we see how here in the voice of Solomon, we're hearing this sense of what it means to enter into moments of awe with an appropriateness that suits the moment. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Uh, I don't know, maybe this is a sign that we could put over the door uh, on the way in. <laughs> What an interesting turn of phrase. As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. 
It's evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises, and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. Now, that's not to say God doesn't want to hear about the situation of your life. What it's talking about is don't just come in with all these different things on your mind and not really focus on God and just spew out whatever's going on in your life. Come in with a sense of focus, preparation, attentiveness to the moment. So don't make rash promises. Don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven, and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. And here we're hearing just the wisdom of not being careless, being appropriate before God, coming before God with a sense of reverence and awe, not stepping all over the moment. You know, can you imagine if you were in a theater and it was an orchestra about to perform and the conductor stands up before them and the crowd hushes, the baton raises, and someone walks in from the back saying, where are our seats? I thought we were C-42. Is there any popcorn here? I think everyone would go, what is going on? Who is that guy? Get him out of here. That's not, that's not what the moment demands. Don't come in, he says, don't come into the place of worship. Don't come into church with just like, okay, whatever, I'm here. What time is it anyway? I've got dinner plans. I, man, I'm getting really hungry. What was that thing I was thinking about earlier? Oh, yeah, I was, we were talking about that. Oh, yeah, can we go? Oh, yeah, oh. Come in with a sense of focus, with your mouth shut. And the point there is not that we don't speak, not that we don't sing, but it's that we pay attention to God. It's not about us. That we don't make it about the things that we have to say and spill our guts and all these things in a way that's inattentive and careless, but it's that we listen to God. We make him the center of it all. We make him the focus, not ourselves. And that's what's appropriate in these moments. You know, if, if I was around the Grand Canyon and somehow I just went in and I started lighting off fireworks or singing and dancing and raising a, a raucous, well, people would be like, you're not what we're here for. A real sense of awe and appropriateness for the moment. Living well means that we recognize the moment. We read the room. We read what's going on. We pay attention to, to God more than ourselves. We step back from ourselves because we recognize we don't understand all that God is doing. And we simply say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be humble and I'm going to listen and I'm going to pay attention to what God is doing because I can't see and understand all that God's doing anyway, so I, maybe I just need to be quiet in this moment. He goes on in the next few verses. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. This is a great reminder for a preacher, I guess. Um, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It's better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin. Talk is cheap like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. And if you've had a moment like that where maybe you meet a hero or someone puts you in a situation where all of a sudden you don't know what to say, then it's probably best to say nothing rather than just fill the air. It's probably best to say, okay, I don't know what to say and do in this moment. I, I don't understand what's going on. I'm just going to be quiet because I don't know what to do. And so here in Ecclesiastes, 
what we're hearing is, is a counsel and a reminder to be sensitive to God and pay attention to God rather than just running off at the mouth. Rather than making ourselves the center of attention. Rather than drawing the focus towards ourselves or just saying something to say something. Rather than making commitments to God without having thought them through. It's to come before God humbly, in quietness, and allow him to be the center. Allow him to be the one who leads us into life. Now there's a moment uh, in another story in the book of Job. And I want to take a moment to look at that. You see, if you don't know the story of Job, Job is going through a test and a trial, and he loses everything in his life. And he's profoundly grieving that. And some of his friends show up, and for seven days, they just sit with him there silently. They just sit. And that's when they're doing the best thing that they could do. Because what happens after that is they start to give him all these ideas about what's wrong with him, why he's suffering, what he should do or not do, how he should respond to this moment. And you know what? Though some of the things they say sound good, they're not really that great. And they miss the mark again and again. And Job keeps protesting, saying, no, you don't understand the situation. You're not paying attention to what's going on. You aren't God. You don't know what you're talking about. And finally, in Job 38, the Lord speaks and addresses the situation. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. Whew, I don't know about you. I would not want to hear that from God. <laughs> Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. <laughs> Some of you parents have said a speech like this to your kids. I was here before you were born. You don't even know what you're talking about. I made you. I can take you out of this world, right? Some of you have said that. I know you have. And there's a sense here, you know, you're listening. I don't know if you've had that moment where your child is trying to tell you what to do, what you're doing wrong, how you're not understanding the situation. What you as a parent are saying is, I understand this way better than you do. There's a lot you're not seeing. There's a lot you don't understand about yourself. The parent wants to say, just be quiet and listen to me. And that's, in a sense, what God does in a more sanctified way. He says, I've got some questions for you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? And what God now goes through chapter after chapter here is he starts to list all these different things in creation that are mysteries to any human being. He says, do you know when it's going to snow or when it's going to stop? Do you know where the rain comes from? Do you know where gazelles are born? Do you know how the life cycle goes? How the water cycle goes from mountain to river to ocean? Do you know anything about that, Job? Oh, you don't? Oh, you don't? Really? You don't? Now, God's not that sarcastic. That's Gordon. But you get the idea. God is saying, you don't understand anything about the world. So maybe just stop and listen to me. When he comes to the end of his speech in Job chapter 40, it's 
says this, Then the Lord said to Job, Do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic, but do you have the answers? Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Job now moves to a place of humility. And he recognizes that in these moments of understanding, the appropriate response is to shut his mouth and open his ears, as Ecclesiastes said. Job recognizes that because he doesn't understand the first thing, really, about the mysteries of the world, or the mysteries of what God is doing in it, he needs to humble himself, listen, and respond to God by listening to him. And receive whatever it is that God is doing, to listen to God's direction in this moment of confusion and lack of clarity and pain and struggle and suffering. It's to stop and direct his attention to the Lord and the Lord only. I want to take you now to another verse from Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. I've referred to this before in the series, but it's important for us again today. God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. God's purpose is that people should fear him. Friends, we can't see all that God is up to in the world. There's no way we can begin to comprehend the mysteries that God is bringing about, the way that he is working. There's an old hymn that says, God moves in mysterious ways. We can't comprehend the things that God is bringing about and the way he is orchestrating and coordinating things into something beautiful and good. And yet, because we believe he's good, we know he's bringing it into something good. We can't comprehend the scope of God's work from beginning to end. But in all of this, as we lack clarity, and as we have this sense of mystery before us, and we are not comprehending all that's around us, the point of all that that God has for us is that we would learn to fear him. Now I want to remind you again that word fear means a sense of awe, respect, honor, and it's expressed in obedience. It's listening to his voice, doing what he says. So the point of all this, all these things that are confusing to us, all these mysteries that abound, the point of all of that that God has done is to direct us towards himself, to recognize our need for him and to trust him. So God's purpose in all of this is that people should fear him. Now, let's go to the next slide. I want to take you to a story in Mark chapter 9, a story of Jesus from the Gospels. It's a story in a moment of incomprehensible awe and wonder, but it's, it's also something that's a bit overwhelming. So six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. So these are three of his closest disciples. And he led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. You can see, like, you know, Tide or something would be trying to take like, advantage of this moment to say, we can bleach it almost as white as the trans transfiguration of Jesus, right? But there's this holy moment that's unfolding and Jesus, his whole appearance is transformed and he's shining. 
There's this sense of glory and wonder about this moment. And not only that, as, as he's dazzling white, then Elijah and Moses appear and begin talking with Jesus. Jesus and now Peter, James, and John are looking at this situation. They're like, wow, this is amazing. Not only is Jesus shining in this moment, but two of the greatest heroes of all of their faith, Moses and Elijah, are there present. What is going on? This is an amazing moment. It's incredible. It's hard to believe. It's hard to understand. What is God doing in this moment? And this is not the moment. This is not the moment to not be paying attention. Look what happens next on the next slide. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to this next verse. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Peter was starting to make it about him because he felt uncomfortable. He, Peter didn't know what to do in this moment, so he felt like it was on him to step in and fill the air. And that was not the right thing. This was not a moment we needed to hear from Peter. This was not Peter's time to shine. This was literally Jesus' time to shine. And it was important for them all to stop and listen because they didn't know what was going on. And they needed to pay attention to what God was doing in this moment. It can be easy for us to just fill the air when we don't know what else to say. Someone is hurting, someone is grieving, and sometimes we just step in, we try to say something, we want to be encouraging or kind. We kind of say the worst possible thing just because we don't know what to say and we actually end up causing a new problem or a new pain. Or we don't know what to say in the face of our own circumstances and tragedies, and sometimes we just sort of let it fly and let it all hang, and we don't approach God with any sense of reverence or awe. We just kind of throw it all out there and just say, well, whatever. Here we see a story where we're reminded that it's not the moment where we make it about us. It's a moment where we make it about Jesus and what God is doing in the world around us, even when we don't understand. So look what happens. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. So Peter's responding to this moment of wonder, and he starts going, Okay, you know what? Let's put up three tents. Let's put three tents up so that we can stay here and make the most of this moment. This is going to be great. I can see it. Three tents now. No, you know what? Let's make three shelters. This will be even better. There's going to be a slope. So the slope, it catches the rain and it directs the rain. And oh, when the sun is shining too much, the rain will come down and, it, and the, it'll protect the rain. But during the sun, it'll protect us from the blazing hot sun. And we'll make these three shelters. And it'll be great, Jesus. Yeah, I can just see it. It'll be about, not, nothing too fancy. Maybe 10 by 16. And then we'll be able to celebrate this moment. I don't know what else to say. I'm just running up the river. What does God say in that moment? Shut your mouth and open your ears. This is a moment not to hear from you, not for you to babble on about your misunderstanding and lack of comprehension. This is a moment to listen to Jesus. And the quote that we hear from heaven is not abbreviated. This is the entirety of it. 
This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. The one message God wanted them to hear in this moment of holy awe and reverence, a moment they could not comprehend what was possibly happening, was just so that they would know that they should listen to Jesus in times like that. When we don't know what we're facing, when we don't understand the world, Ecclesiastes tells us, stop talking and listen to God. And what happens in this powerful moment of awe and wonder with Jesus here now shining like the sun, what we hear again is, stop talking and listen to God. Stop making it about you. Pay attention to Him. Ecclesiastes says that's the only way to live a meaningful life. That's the only way to be focused on what really matters. If we don't start with ourselves, but we start ourselves by looking at Jesus and listening to him. I went up a mountain in a gondola, and I made a fool of myself in front of my heroes. Those three disciples went up a mountain with Jesus and made a bit of a fool of themselves too. But Jesus continued to speak, continued to show them the reality of his self. And as they listened to him, their faith grew and their trust in God grew. And God has done incredible things in their lives and through their lives. And God can do incredible things in our lives when we listen to Jesus, when life doesn't make sense. The world is incomprehensible to us, but to God, he understands it all. And he understands the whole scope of things that we can never fully appreciate. So in humility, let's simply stop, listen, and respond in obedience to what God is saying and doing amongst us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you want to hear from us that you care about every thought and concern that's on our minds. And we thank you that you understand our needs far better than we do. But help us also to recognize that there is a place for us to stop and recognize we've reached our limit. We don't know what to do. We don't know what happens next. We don't know what should be said or done. And rather than just trying to act anyway or speak just to fill the air, Help us to direct our thoughts and attention to you, to listen to your voice and your leading. To not try to force our lives through in a certain way or not to try to tell you what should be done in the world or in our lives, but to listen to you and what you're saying and what you're doing and to join you in that wherever it may be found. So Jesus, we want to honor you. We want to put you at the center of it all. We want to listen to your voice and we want to allow you to reign and rule amongst us. And we do that by just focusing our thoughts and our our ideas, our ears upon you so that we recognize who you are, what you're doing, what you're saying, and live from that place of trust. We stand in awe of you. We worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.